A few weeks ago, a week before Mother's Day, we began a series calling, Will the True Church Please Stand Up? We're looking at Revelations 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3. Um, we've talked the first week about, you know, the different kinds of churches, you know. And as we continue the study of the seven churches in Revelation, um, I pray that these studies have caused you to kind of look in the spiritual mirror of how you are as God's church, as Christ's church, um, and, and to take heed to what, the, what his word says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, these are important messages to the churches that Jesus Christ gave in the book of Revelation. And we've learned that those messages were not for just that time and not just those churches, but they, they echo so loudly even to 2020 today, to Place of Grace Church, to the other churches in our community, to the churches in our nation and in our world today. Those same messages ring just as loud then as they do today or as, as as, you know what I meant, backwards, right? <laughs> we need to be, and we have to be the church that Jesus Christ has called us to be. Especially in the day to which we live now, in order to be effective for our families, for our communities, for our nation, and for our world. I pray that our ears are open, church, to these words. And I want to just briefly recap briefly what we've talked about before we get into the next two churches this morning. Remember, we talked about the three kinds of churches that there are, the external church, the internal church, and the eternal church. The external church being that church outside the four walls to which we are now, church. That's what we are now and is an external church. We should be out there witnessing. We should be out there telling others about Jesus Christ, living our testimony outside these four walls. We should be influencing the community and not the community not influencing us. We talked about the internal church, loving the internal family. I love and miss each one of you and can't wait to give you an air high five or an air hug or, or if you're into you know, physical touch, a big old bear hug. But we also need to learn to love the ones who may come in here new. They are broken, they are hurt, and we need not to look at them as aliens, but look at them as just family as you and I are. And then we looked at the eternal church. Everything they do is pointing to the kingdom of God and being a part of a work in building that kingdom. We continued to look last week at the, at the church of Ephesus. And we saw that that church had all the, the looks and works of a great church. And something was wrong with that church. Jesus commended them on all their works. He commended them on all the, the things that they have done and standing for them. But he, he, he came against them and said, but you've lost your first love. You've backslidden. In other words, you've stepped away from the fire. You're getting a little too cool. And we looked at a three-step program that Jesus Christ gave the church, but he also gives our church and he gives us individually. And that is to remember what we, what we our works and how we felt and how it was when we first came to Jesus Christ. 
to repent of our sins. If maybe we've stepped away and say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for stepping away. Forgive me. And then to get back to why we were serving the Lord in the first place. You see, Jesus was saying, stop playing church and be the church. Stay on fire. Stay on fire, church. It's not about works, but it's about you living for me and having me in the center of your heart and life. We closed last week with seeing that Jesus wants a church that's fashioned in his image, loves all people, is it has a repentant heart, does not tolerate sin, and teaches God's truth despite popular opinion. This week we're going to look at two more churches that Christ wrote in the book of Revelation. And that first church is the church, is the church of Smyrna, the suffering church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading out of Revelations 2, verses 8 through 11. And it says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is, is the first and last, who was dead but now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of, of you, what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. The church in Smyrna was, was located in a, in a beautiful, wealthy city. And it was the official site for emperor worship, resulting in a close association with Rome. It was about 25 miles from Ephesus. Emperor worship consisted of acknowledging Caesar as, as Lord and burning a small amount of incense and, to, to him and worshiping him. And, and, and worshiping the emperor was, was required for voting, owning property, and trading in the market. In some instances, non-worshippers were persecuted. You see, the city was, a, was home to a large Jewish community of hostiles that were, that were totally against the Christians. You can see these, these, these persecutions in the books of Acts, chapter 14 and 17, for your study. But see, they were persecuted. And they couldn't, unless you worship the emperor, you couldn't vote. You couldn't buy or sell. Does that sound familiar, church? Now, we're not going to get too deep into that this morning. But they were persecuted. And Christ's revelation to this church commends the community for its material poverty, rather, but spiritual wealth. And he acknowledges that it's being wrongfully persecuted. Christ does not reprimand this church. 
There's two churches. This is one of them that does not receive a, a reprimand or, or you know, a, an admonishment or warning, I should say. But he warns the church of impending imprisonment for some of its members, urging them to remain faithful even to the point of death and to remember the promise of their victor's crown. I want to look just briefly at what Jesus did and how he praised the church. You see, the church was praised for enduring tribulation and poverty. The tribulation and poverty were no doubt because they didn't worship the emperor. They were outcasted. They were looked down upon. They were shunned. When Jesus mentions the synagogue of Satan here, it may have been, been referring to the Jewish synagogue in the city. Again, there's no condemnation from Jesus in this letter. Remember, Ephesus, he had the condemnation of get back to your first love. This church, he didn't really have one. No fault was really found in this church. That does not mean the church was perfect. Remember what I always said, if you find the perfect church, you should probably get out. But no, this church wasn't perfect, but there was nothing, nothing that Jesus could, could let them know or share with them that was going to hinder their eternal life or anything to that, to that measure. His admonishment was that he advised the church not to fear what they were going to suffer. You see, Jesus was going to let them know, I know you're suffering now, but I got news for you, it's going to be a little bit longer of suffering and persecution. Well, that's not very hopeful at all. Well, wait. You see, Jesus says that there's going to be a 10-day testing. And different scholars have different opinions of what this 10-day testing means. Some say it was a literal 10 days. Some believe it was a symbolic period of testing. And that's for a later study. Um, either way, we know that the, the, the suffering and the persecution was temporary. But that it was also very intense. And Jesus encouraged the church to be faithful through this period of testing and tribulation. Church, this is a great lesson for us to resist the to resist the you know to 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 resist the urge not to pray for those churches that are persecuted. We need to pray for churches. We're we're lucky here in America still. Even still, even now, we're still very lucky to be able to broadcast the word of God via the internet now, where it can get out everywhere. But when we do get back together, we we are a blessed nation where our president can still stand up behind a podium and say hey i think churches are essential i think they should be open if we have liquor stores open and we have abortion clinics open and we have all this other stuff open calling it essential churches need to be essential then and they need to be open can you imagine if we had a president that didn't see that the church would be in some type of persecution would be shined shunned down on but we don't have that yet, church. So we here in America, our persecution is, well, I don't like the worship song the worship leader just sang. Or I don't like how the pastor says the Smyrna, the name of churches. Or I don't like this, or I don't like that. We're a bunch of whiners and complainers. We have no clue what persecution truly is, church, here in America. 
I read the story this week of, of a church in Mississippi who was fighting the, the city government of reopening. And just, just yesterday found, or the day before, I'm sorry, found that their church had been burnt to the ground. And they believe it's arsonist. We don't, we don't have those type of problems normally here in, in the nation of America. But you go to China and you can't even mention the name of Jesus. You have a group of people that, that get together in a dark alley and, and they hide with the word of God in their hand as, as, as small of a word of God as you can get. Nothing big like this, but, but small word of God just so they can learn of Jesus Christ. And if they get caught, it's imprisonment if not death. And so Jesus is telling this church, and he's warning the churches even of today, hey, listen, I know you're going through some rough times. I know you're, you're poor, but you're rich in spirit, and it's just for a little longer. We need to pray that persecution necessarily, even though we know it's not going to stop, we need to pray that believers can endure it. My church, I'm not a fortune teller. And I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a well-scholared verse in the Reve book of Revelation. But I can tell you now, you, you don't need to know that the church isn't the most popular thing in the world today. And there are some in power that if they could very well today, they would close the doors of the church completely. If they could, they'd close the door to the word of God being preached on the internet and on the airwaves. And we need not just to pray that persecution ends for the church, but rather pray that when and if it comes, we can endure it. I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of hard times. But we have to be willing, church, to be willing to stand. Will you stand for God at all costs? You know, we've talked about our own personal situations in life. Will we stand, will we smile when it's raining? Or when the police come in or the military comes in, National Guard come in and say, hey, you cannot preach the word of God. You cannot gather here anymore. You cannot even mention the name of Jesus. Where are we going to stand, church? Will we be as this church and stand solid and say, no, we're going to worship our God anyway. We're going to preach the name of Jesus Christ anyway. And not, not, not to be disrespectful, Mr. Officer, but I serve a higher power this morning. You see, persecution is often directly connected to, a, to the church. When you hear about persecution, it's, it's usually in the context of church. You see, fear is a human response. But can I tell you this morning, if, if you've got a little bit of anxiety about what we've been talking about thus far, can I tell you, fear is a human response. But we live supernatural lives, church, through the power of Christ that's within us. And remember, we talked a few weeks back about not having the, power, the spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind, knowing that God has his, his hand upon his church, and not just place of grace, but the church worldwide. So he lets them know, hey, I know you, you're having a tough time, but Satan's coming after you even harder. 
But he doesn't stop there. He just doesn't stop at the, at, the, at the advisement saying, hey, this is coming. He puts an ending to it. He puts a closing to it. He gives you some hope this morning for those who are faithful and would receive the crown of life. They would not be hurt by the second death. You see, this is a, the, the church here is, is kind of entering a martyr, martyr, how do you say that? You know, dying for Christ? Martyr? Yeah, that's it, martyr. Time. There were many, many men and women of God who died for Christ. Denounce Christ or we'll cut your head off. Denounce Christ or you will die. And they said, I'm coming home, Lord. Do we have that boldness in us? It's easy to love God when we sit in a cushy seat. It's easy to say, yes, Jesus, I love you, when everything is hunky-dory. But when persecution comes, will you be able to stand for God like you've never stood before? And Jesus tells them, I promise you, I will give you the crown of life. What's interesting about the crown of life is that it's, the reward here is not necessarily talking just of, of just eternal life here. You see, because eternal life is a gift given through faith and personal belief in Jesus Christ. We get that when we ask Jesus Christ into our heart. So this crown is something special. It's a special reward for endurance under persecution. What's the significance of the, this warning today? Well, like the church in Smyrna, 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 I don't know why I can't say these words. I promise you all I'll learn. I promise. Christians are persecuted worldwide. Obviously, we, we can see that when you, if you do a search on Google. And look up persecution of the church. You'll see things that blow your mind. And this letter warns that all Christians, although we may not suffer greatly in, in every way, but we will suffer. But here's the good news. The tribulation will be short compared to the promise of our eternal life. Amen? They were told not to fear the things that they were going to be called to suffer. But to be faithful unto death, not until death. Whichever it is that Jesus encouraged, Jesus encouraged the church to fear not. That word has been used so much in 2020. Fear not. For what can man do to you? For I will not forsake you, Jesus is telling the church. We need to receive this today. You can receive this for your personal life, and if you're going through something, and you have a, a spirit of anxiety or fear this morning, take that this morning. Fear not what man can do to you. For I will not forsake you. We need to know, church, that if and when persecution or tribulation comes to this church 
or to the nation of America in a way that we've never seen before. We need to know that we, we need to know that we are going to stand at all cost if and when that time of oppression comes and fear not. Let us be like that church. The next church we want to look at this morning is the church of Pergamum. Now this church was the compromising church. Um, in verses 12 through 17, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to read that portion of Scripture now. And it says, write this letter to the angel of the church's church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate someone among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sins. In some of the ways, you have the Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with a sword in my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, uh, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Now this church was, it was, in, it was in the royal city. Pergamum was the royal city. And it was, renowned, it was renowned for its pagan practices. And it was actually nicknamed Satan's City. And Christ's reference to Satan's throne in verse 13, it may, very well may have alluded to the city's altar of Zeus. And this pagan altar stood 40 foot high and was 100 square foot wide. And it was actually one of the world's most famous altars. Christ's letters to this church praises the congregation for upholding its faith despite the city's persistent pagan influences. But as we'll see in a few minutes, his, the letter turns to addressing the church's sin by denouncing some of its members for following false teaching that brought about religious and moral compromise. Idolatry had crept into the church. They had yoked paganism with the gospel, drawing Jesus' stern rebuke. The Lord calls on the community to repent in this letter. He calls on the church to repent or risk the judgment that will spring from the sword of his mouth. Well, just think about that. That's, that's, that gives me chills personally because, man, when Jesus comes out, he comes with, he's like, hey, really proud if you're standing, but I got some problems. Like I talked about last week, I got to get some things off my chest. And then to hear, if you don't heed the warnings, the seriousness of what will happen. 
But isn't Jesus awesome? He always says, here's your warning, but if you heed the warning, here's your answer. Here's something good for you if you heed the warning this morning. He says those who will repent will be given hidden manna, that is the grain of heaven, and a white stone or a clean state with a new identity in Christ. Now the praise again was Jesus holding fast to the church saying, good job by standing, especially amongst Satan's throne, Satan's city, certainly a reference to the uh, emperor worship. And we noticed that there was uh, Antipas who was martyred, and he's mentioned specifically by Jesus Christ. We, we, We don't really know too much about him from the scripture, but we do know this, that he must have been this must have been a very significant event resulting in its mention. And surely others had been killed and martyred as well during this time. Both churches were experiencing tribulation. But unlike Smyrna, Pergamum was being condemned by Jesus for a few things. First, some in their midst held the teaching of Balaam, who led Israel to eat food sacrificed to idol and commit acts of immorality. And these acts were most likely being committed by some in the church as well. And the church also had some who were holding the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which we talked about last week. In essence, Jesus was rebuking the church for being impure. Listen, he just doesn't condemn those that were doing that and holding these heresies. But to the entire church, he was being, was being held accountable for not confronting those and leading them to repentance. Let me tell you how dangerous it is, church. If you see someone in church, so we live in such a PC, politically correct world, that if we see somebody doing something wrong, we're afraid to go up to them and say, hey, uh, brother, brother, sister, um, are you, you know, I've noticed you doing this and I'm just checking in. I want to make sure you're okay. Are you sure that's okay to be doing? There's nothing wrong with holding each other accountable in love, in loving correction. The scripture talks about that. And that person who's doing wrong is going to do one of two things. The guilt's going to make them offensive to you, or the guilt's going to make them hit their knees. You're not responsible for their decision. But we are responsible, church, to ensure that we are keeping each other accountable and making sure that we're not losing sheep to the wolves. So Jesus was calling out for them to repent. If they failed to repent, Christ would come and he would make war with them with the sword of his mouth. Well, this might seem like a, a good thing. But no. <laughs> you know, wouldn't the genuine believers want this? Wouldn't, wouldn't they want Jesus to purge those who were holding the heresies in their midst? But let's think about this practically. You ever been in, in, involved in a church where there's church discipline or a church split 
And you know how painful that can be. I've been involved in two of them. Two difficult situations in two different churches where it was just hard. But Jesus is calling out, this is the way it's got to be. You see, Jesus isn't going to let his church be impure. And if the church isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing and standing on the gospel and the foundation of the word of God like we should be standing and we're tickling people's ears and we're saying this is okay and that's okay because it's our opinion or or the pastor's feeling, that ain't going to do the church a bit of good. And Jesus is going to warn a church, hey, I see you kind of slipping off to the side here. You've got a couple of people that are bringing some stuff in. They're corrupting the, 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 the nature that I want, the presence that I want in my church. You see, like the Christians in this church in Pergamum, it's easy to normalize normalize the non-Christian behavior of those around us and allow that behavior to dilute our values. But the Bible urges us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewal of our mind in accordance to God's word. Listen, I'm not the same person I was eight years ago. The word of God has is, is changed me and is continuing to change me. And what I used to think may, may be okay, can I tell you, by the word of God, it's not okay. Not because Sean is some holier than thou, but no, because the word of God is the standard to which I stand on. And can I tell you right now, if there is any doubt in something that I'm doing or partaking in, I throw it out because I don't want to be jeopardizing anything in my life. And we need not to become tolerable with sin, as we talked about last week. We don't need to be tolerable, church, to allow sin and corrupt things to come into church just to get the numbers. Just to become, for, for some status in the community. Because if we do that, this will destroy the church. This will destroy the church if we see it come into play and we don't step up and say, hey, that, that's not right. What you're doing, what you're teaching, how you're doing it is not right. Here's the right way to do it. We love you, but here's what the Word of God says to do. The church is so fixed on becoming revelant in this day that it is in danger of becoming irreverent, irreverent. We need to maintain our distinct distinct identity we need to remain the church of jesus christ and not bend and not bow to public opinion or what we they think we should do or or how we can boost the numbers or how do i get more followers on the facebook page no let me tell you what this is all we need right here this is all you need right here this is all the world needs right here It's all found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And when corruption 
or compromise, compromise seeks to seeks a foothold. We need to do as 1 Peter 5.8 says, and we need to be vigilant, sober, and on guard. Our goal in confronting sin is not to con condemn the person, to, to rip them apart and make them feel bad, but to reconcile them, to bring them back to where they first were. We live in a day now where there's so many different this, that's, and the other, and, and, well, I think this is the right theory, or I think that's the right policy. Can I tell you what right now again? This is the right policy. This is the right way to live, and there is no other way. Why don't you give this a try and see if life doesn't get a little bit better for you? Our goal needs to be bringing people to Jesus Christ, showing that he is the light, the, the life, the truth, in the way. The church has a responsibility to lead people to the cross. That's our job, church. We need to be the light. Jesus Christ talked about the lampstands, the light in the darkness. When, when, when the Lompoc people, the community of Lompoc, they look around and it's dark and it's nighttime. Is there a light shining from place of grace? Can they look over the horizon and see a light where place of grace sits or any of the churches here in town? Or is it a flicker? In closing church, we need to be a church that is fashioned in Christ's image. That loves all people. You don't have to agree with them. And you sure don't got to accept the sin that they're living in. But you are called to love them. As Christ has loved us. We need to be a church that is repented and atoned and washed in the blood of the Lamb. We need to be a church that does not tolerate sin. We don't even buckle or bend. And some may say, well, that's ridiculous to live like that in 2020. No, it's not been ridiculous since the day Jesus Christ died on the cross. And it's not going to be ridiculous today. I will not bend. I will not bow. No matter what man may think or say. We need to be a church that teaches God's truth despite the opinion of popular people or popular opinion or, or, well, maybe you should just tone down on the sin thing. Maybe you should tone down on what the, you know, going to hell thing is all. No, can I tell you what? If I tone that down, then I'm in jeopardy myself. We need to be a church that is a faithful church that will endure persecution and oppression and be a fearless church. Especially this, this year, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, we need to be a church that rises up in this nation and in this world like we have never stood before. And I have been saying that now for the last two or three months. We need to be a church that we have never stood for before. Your witness needs to be stronger than it has ever been before for Jesus Christ in this day. And we need to be a church that guards against the weakening of the true doctrine of the Word of God. We need to guard against the watering and the tickling of the ears. 
We cannot define truth by our own preferences. The Word of God does not cave to popular opinions, nor is it bendable to fit our lives. But we must change to fit in it. If we adjust and hear what the Spirit says to the churches, I believe that we will be a church that Jesus can use in these last days to build this, his kingdom. Then he will have a... See, here's my prayer. Here's my, here's my prayer. I want Jesus to commend us. I want him to praise the church today. And I don't mean just our local church. I mean the church of this day. And he will have a reason to praise. He will have a reason to commend us rather than to rebuke if we would see these things and put into line and become the church that he's called us to be. I know there's much work to be done still, but just as a bride prepares herself to present herself to the, her groom, we must be preparing ourselves as Christ's bride-to-be. Church, let us prepare ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I come before you. I thank you for your word. God, I give you honor and praise this morning. I ask, oh Lord God, that you would open our eyes, Lord, as we stand before the spiritual mirror and check our hearts, Lord, and check our lives. Individually, Lord, and as a church body and a family. I ask, Father, that we are pleasing to you, Lord. That we are fashioning ourselves after the image of Christ. That we do love all people. God, that we are repentant and we are atoned for our sins. God, that we do not tolerate sin even in the slightest of realm but we rebuke it and we set us, stay away from it and we run for it, from it if we have to, Lord God. Lord, we want to be a ch church that teaches your truth despite what the popular opinion is, Lord God. Let us teach your word at all costs. God, I'm asking, Lord, to be a faithful church, Lord. One that will endure persecution or oppression and not be fearful, but stand, Lord, in boldness for you. For you, Lord, will not forsake us. And you've got our times in your hands. And finally, Lord, I want to be a church that guards against, Lord God, the weakening of your word and your doctrine, Lord. Lord, I don't want to bend and I don't want to bow to what the pressures of the world may be trying to sneak in or have somebody come in trying to change theologies or policies. Father, let us always stand against and guard against that and be a church, Lord God, that hears what the Spirit says to the churches this morning. Lord, we want to prepare ourselves to be the church that you have called us to be for this day. So God, I am asking today that you would check our hearts individually and as a body today. And as a nation, Father God, and all the churches across the nation and the world, let us check ourselves to be the church that you have called us to be, the bride that is preparing itself for the groom's arrival. 
Let us be that today, because I know the time is soon. Father, you're, you're, you're buttoning up your son's tongue as we speak, Father God. You're preparing, Lord, to split the sky. So, Father, let your bride be ready and prepared for that day. But until that day, use us, Lord, in this community. Use us in this nation. And use us in this world. And we'll forever give you the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.